All right, welcome to Hobby Time with Dirk Nashti. My name is Keith. I go by Dirk Nashti on Twitter and Discord. And, uh, you know, I, I started this podcast basically just to get out some of my thoughts and research some of the things that I, that I do on my own, sort of out of my head on the hobbies that, you know, I enjoy participating in. So primarily right now, especially that's basketball, sports cards, NFTs and digital collectibles and, you know, a little bit in crypto as well. I'm one of those people who just likes data. So I, I do a lot of work for fun, basically trying to gain an edge essentially through, you know, reviewing and pouring through the data and seeing, you know, seeing where there's a, an opportunity. And, you know, I thought I'd share that with, with you all. I would love to hear your feedback and you can always reach me on Twitter at Dirk Nashti or you can email DirkNashtyPod at gmail.com and I promise I'll get back to you. All right. Welcome. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in and uh, pressing play. I, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. Before I wrap up the rookie comparisons with wings and bigs, I wanted to kind of share some of the other podcasts that I enjoy, hopefully really quick. I, I do like to listen to a lot of podcasts, whether I'm in the car or mowing or just have time during the day when I'm not on meetings or, or whatever. Um, and then I would love to hear if there's anything, especially in these areas that I'm really missing that are that are kind of like can't miss from a pure basketball perspective like my favorite is dunked on and it's really not even close that's dunked on d-u-n-c-d you know nate and danny are dedicated intelligent they give their opinions but not in like a hashtag takes kind of way they admit when they're wrong like it's almost a purely analysis based podcast but that's both qualitative and quantitative analysis like i don't see them really carrying the water for agents or teams or organizations or players or anything like that, like some of the big time, quote, reporters do. It's just an excellent basketball podcast. I really like their style. I even pay up for the, the premium version of, of their podcast. It's, it's like by far my number one favorite can't miss podcast. Other basketball podcasts I listen to sometimes, like depending on the day or the subject are, you know, like the Hoop Collective with that's Brian Winhorse's podcast, The Low Post with Zach Lowe. The Dunker Spot is one that I was put onto recently by Nathaniel from the Nashak Index. Some of the Lockdown stuff is good, although unfortunately I've kind of drifted further and further away from the Lockdown Maps podcast. Periodically, some of the Ringer podcasts dedicated to basketball I listen to, like The, mis the Mismatch at times is both insightful <laughs> and unbearable the ringer nba show especially when when raja bell is on I, I enjoy hearing the perspective of a former player jj reddick's the old man in the three is is really good and finally hollinger and duncan which again is nate duncan from the dunktown podcast and john hollinger formerly of espn and the the memphis grizzlies front office i, I especially like that one when when john hollinger is talking about you know kind of what goes on behind the scenes in front offices that's always something i've been interested in from a sports card perspective, I've mentioned before already Gary from Hoops and Cards. I just did a show with Nathaniel and Camden over at the NASDAQ Index. I can I connect with both of those podcasts primarily because they're focused on basketball cards that we can essentially all afford. They're just generally more like down-to-earth kind of everyman shows, which I, I really identify with. If you haven't checked out the recent episode of the NASDAQ Index, please do. That's the one that I was on. I had a great time with those guys, and I'm very thankful that they that they had me on. Although it was a very me-centric podcast, so I'm hopeful that I'll get to return the favor and have those guys on my show sometime soon uh, as well. Lucas, Tigers, and LeBrons is great. I, I enjoy that community. Although I do, I do find myself disagreeing with a lot of what they say, and, and at times their opinions can be very strong. Let's put it that way. 
Uh, but to me, their real value is for almost two full years, they've done at least one podcast every single day, like without missing a day. It's pretty incredible. And they have been very generous, in my opinion, in terms of giving back to the community, which I have benefited from without question. That's uh, some, that's been like cash directly, free cards and giveaways, um, you know, NFTs from the Panini blockchain, like all kinds of stuff. They've free grading from SGC, all kinds of stuff they've given back to their community. And, and I've benefited greatly from it. And I'm super appreciative of what they do for us. There's a few others that I that I'm not as deep into, but I'm kind of starting to get into. I really liked what I've heard so far from the sports card strategy show uh, from NoOffSeason.com. The Card Talk Pod is good. Establish the Collection has been pretty good. I've actually enjoyed that one quite a bit. And Sports Card Nonsense uh, is nice as well. You know, one thing I, I don't identify with as much is like the big high dollar, you know, ten and twenty and a hundred thousand dollar cards and the news around those. Like, it's nice, it's entertaining, but you know, it's not something that I will probably ever really be be in. So I just tend to care less about that about that kind of stuff. For soccer cards, Soccer Cards United has been kind of my go to podcast for for a while. In regards to movie and TV podcasts, like I really enjoy the big picture again on the Ringer Network. Sean Fennessy is like one of those people who just seem to be like wholly dedicated to the thing that he does for a living and creates content about. So as, as someone who has always enjoyed movies, but never really knew much about like the history or prestige, like movie making, etc. Like I've never known about that stuff, nor have I really looked into it that much. I've learned a lot from Sean and of course his co-host Amanda who brings like the soul to, to that show. She speaks from her heart, super easy to identify with. I really love the the big picture. The rewatchables again on the ringer network can, can be fun as well. I I tend to enjoy their non-sports stuff more so than the, the sports stuff, like the prestige TV podcast. If it's a show that I'm also watching the watch is great as well. Vanity fair, still watching podcast again. If it's a show that I'm watching and they're talking about, I'm, I'm going to listen to Going episode by episode through Game of Thrones with a podcast called Oysters, Clams, and Cockles was a ton of fun. Those guys are, are a trip. So anyway, I've gone long, gone on long enough about podcasts. I've got a lot more that I that I like, but one, one more that I want to hit on real quick is The Ringer Dish. I'm not really a person who follows or keeps up with celebrity news or pop culture really <laughs> at all. The truth of the matter is like most of the people in my life aren't really into sports cards or deep diving, you know, NBA stats or, or whatever. So along with like being really entertaining, I, I find that that show like helpful to me personally as at least like something related to pop culture that allows me to kind of be informed when stuff like that comes up. Last episode, I went through uh, about 12 or so current NBA stars, you know, all NBA level guards and reviewed their rookie seasons in depth. I'm not going to do that for the wings and bigs today, but what I will do is go over in in more general terms, kind of what I saw from those players as I was bringing them into my data set to compare to our current rookies before wrapping up the, the rookie comparison and kind of the rookie portion of what I was planning on doing with this podcast, at least for now. And what I'd like to do soon is hopefully is get back into more of the card, the card market stuff uh, and include other players that are not just rookies. So similar to the guards, I brought in uh, all of the recent All-NBA bigs and forwards and All-Stars and then a whole bunch of other guys. I even have a bigger data set for this group than I'd had for the guards. 
I looked at nine rookies and 46 other players across the league. So that's a total of 55 players. In general, I found it actually more difficult for wings and bigs. Um, not the bigs so much, but more so the wings to really find direct comps. As I was looking into the, the numbers, especially as rookies, I decided it was probably made, made more sense to group the guys into three categories. Um, but I put them into wings, forwards, and centers. Obviously, most of these guys fit into multiple categories. A lot of them have evolved their game over their career to be, say, more of a center than a forward or, or more of a forward than a wing. That categorization is totally subjective. It's just the way that I, I looked at it. Let me talk a little bit about the rookie, the rookie crop first of wings and bigs. I, you know, I'm not looking at everyone, just some, some of the guys in episode two that I, that I called out as what, what I thought were interesting card plays. From a card perspective, I'm not normally a fan of bigs when it relates, when it relates to their cards, um, but wings can be really intriguing. A few general observations kind of off the top. I looked at nine rookies. Three or four of them were at the very top of all 55 players that I looked at in terms of assist per 36 and assist rate. Five of the top 10 players in terms of percentage of shots taken between three to 10 feet were also rookies. So five of the top 10 in, in that category were rookies. And a few of the other rookies were very close, very close behind just outside of the top 10. You know, for guards, I called that floater range for, for bigs that, you know, I don't think they're necessarily taking as many floaters. Um, I'll just call them paint jumpers. All nine rookies were, were somewhere between 55 and 60% true shooting. So, you know, bigs generally have higher true shooting. They're generally shooting closer to the rim. Uh, but 55 to 60% is pretty good. Uh, Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley, Franz Wagner, and Herb Jones were all also towards the top of all 55 players I looked at uh, in terms of minutes per game as well. In my study, I had 18 guys that I classified as centers. These are guys like Rudy Gobert. DeAndre Ayton, Joel Embiid, Jokic, Bam, Jared Allen, etc. Of the 18, five have been All-NBA in the last few seasons, and all five were in the top eight in rebound rate. So grabbing more than 10 rebounds per 36 and nearly 17% or more of available rebounds while they're on the court. None of the three rookies that, I'm, that I talked about today, or that I will talk about today, met either of those marks with Isaiah Jackson being the closest at 9.9 rebounds per 36 and 15.4% rebound rate. I do currently have Evan Mobley classified as a center. Again, totally subjective. It doesn't actually mean anything. Um, and he was actually 16th out of 18 in both of those categories. He's down there in terms of rebounds with Kristaps Porzingis and Miles Turner. But I definitely think that Evan Mobley has the capacity to be a solid rebounder and improve his rebound rate. And I think it was also significantly affected by splitting a lot of his playing time with Jared, Jared Allen in that Twin Towers set in, in Cleveland. And, and yes, I'm saying I also classify Jared Allen as a center too. So like according to my totally subjective made-up position groupings, you know, what, what I would be saying that Cleveland is playing two centers. I don't think I don't think that is actually true, and I don't think that Evan Mobley necessarily played as a center all of the time. He did spend a lot of time at center, and I think um, going forward in his career, maybe not next year or even the next two or three years, but throughout his career, he will be considered a center more so than a than a forward. 
Um, in terms of other looking at the rest of the centers, you know, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy Gobert becomes an outlier really quickly when we're talking about the all NBA level centers. So again, there's only five that I'm talking about, but he didn't shoot well near the rim. He didn't shoot well beyond <laughs> beyond the paint. He had the lowest assist rate of all the players that I looked at. He had the highest turnover rate of all the players that I looked at. He was great at rebounding, great at blocking shots as a rookie, and that was about it. So of the five All-NBA centers, four were in the top four in terms of box plus minus as rookies. Again, with Gobert being the big outlier. Embiid, Jokic, AD, Cat, even as rookies, were significantly positive players. And Jokic, uh, you know, spent most of his time backing up Yusuf Nurkic his rookie year. Evan Mobley was the closest rookie in terms of box plus minus, 0.6. Robert Williams was the closest non-all-NBA player at 1.8. So Robert Williams' rookie season was actually really positive. He had the highest dunk percentage of anyone that I looked at, the highest percentage of shots taken at the rim, and by virtue of both of those things, the by far the highest true shooting percentage of all of, of all the players I looked at, as well as the highest block rate at twelve and a half percent, which was by far the, the most, like far far more than Rudy Gobert uh, and anyone else. Beyond those things that I, that I looked at, you know, box plus minus and rebound rate, I didn't see many categories that really separated these centers. In terms of the best of the best do these things, and then the others maybe not as much. Cat and Embiid really didn't get many dunks or layups even as rookies, at least compared compared to other centers. Jokic and Cat weren't great shot blockers as rookie as rookies. AD and Rudy Gobert were not good assist men as rookies, nor did they really set up for themselves. So center was kind of a mixed bag, uh, but it does sort of a, appear that guys that have their one true skill, pretty much have it right from the beginning. Embiid, 29 points per 36 is one of the very best rookie seasons at any position that I've looked at in this exercise. So this is at 100 players, 100 of the best players in the in the league. Jokic's 18% assist rate was one of the highest of any forward or big or wing that I looked at for today's podcast and today's analysis. Rudy Gobert, 13 rebounds per 36 and a 7% block rate are both near the uh, the very top in both of those categories. Carl Anthony Towns, was a as a rookie especially, was a great scorer at all levels and an excellent rebounder. Anthony Davis, it, maybe it, it's probably really fair to say maybe he was more of a forward than a center as a rookie, but he did a mix of everything. Steals, blocks, efficient finishing, solid scoring, rebounding. He kind of did a little bit of everything except for creating for himself and his teammates. So some of the young guys and rookies with like standout stats that I that I wanted to bring up. Evan Mobley kind of does just everything. He's actually very remin- reminiscent of what I said about AD. Steals, blocks, efficient finishing, solid scoring, rebounding. He kind of did a little bit of everything. And he did them all uh, at a high level. Alperin Shangun was an elite, elite assist guy and self-creator for a big. Isaiah Jackson, an excellent rebounder and steals guy and blocks guy while finishing efficiently. I actually ended up with only one rookie in this forward group. Again, maybe I could have put Evan Mobley in this group, um, but the only rookie that I was looking at that I talked about in episode two that I had identified as a forward was Jalen Johnson, 
But just a quick acknowledgement, you know, I had Zion Williamson in this group and his rookie season was one of the best that we've ever seen. Zion was 29, 8, and 3 per 36. Blake Griffin was 21, 11, and 4. Also had a top, top notch rookie season. Other guys in this group are guys like Draymond, Giannis, Julius Randle, and Pascal Siakam. And all of those, all four of those players have been all NBA at least once in their careers and all had very, very rough rookie seasons. So, I mean, I think there's definitely the ability and capacity to improve, you know, from these bigs, especially these kind of not quite wings, but not quite center big guys like Draymond and Giannis and, and Randall and Siakam. When talking about wings, they were about as spread out as it can be when it comes to looking for baseline stats. So again, what the, one of the first things I did was said, okay, here's, here's all my wings. Here are the all NBA players that are wings. Like, is there anything that really separates them as rookies from the rest of the guys for wings that, that really just didn't, didn't happen. But a few things I would point out like this rookie crop. So this, these are guys like Scotty Barnes, Zaire Williams, Franz Wagner, Jonathan Kaminga, Herb, Herb Jones tend to be excellent assist guys. So I already, already pointed that out. And also comfortable taking and making paint twos at a high rate, but not necessarily getting all the way to the rim. So again, just to, just to give an idea of like how spread out these guys were, some of the all-NBA wings rebounded well as rookies, like Kawhi. Some not so much, like Kevin Durant. Jason Tatum and Kawhi Leonard both scored efficiently, while Kevin Durant, Jimmy Butler, Paul George didn't. Some blocked shots, some got steals, some didn't do either. <laughs> All NBA wings tended not to shoot more than a third or so of their shots from three as rookies. Wings were all over the place in terms of what separated all um, players that became all NBA players as rookies. Let's get into the, the rookie comparison. So here I'll bring in uh, kind of line level stats for the, for the different rookies, starting with our centers and Evan Mobley. Mobley had a couple interesting comps, but before we get there, you know, he played 34 minutes per game, which was top five of all the 55 players I looked at and the top of all players that I looked at that I had classified as centers. And again, I understand he spent a lot of time playing with Jared Allen. I understand he maybe wasn't a center for a lot of the year. Part of the time he definitely was, and I think going forward he will be. The three guys that popped out when looking at their rookie numbers were Kristaps Porzingis, Miles Turner, and Anthony Davis. So among these three, I think the guy that matched up best with um, Evan Mobley's rookie season was Anthony Davis. So, so let's take a look at that. Mobley was 16, 9, and 3 per 36. Davis was 17, 10, and 1.2. So I mentioned earlier that Anthony Davis was not a great assist man. And, and Mobley, even as a, as a big, was pretty good. True shooting, Mobley was 55%. AD was 56%. In terms of steal and block rates, so Mobley 1.2 and 4.4. AD was a little better at both at 2.2 and 5.1. In terms of turnover percentage and usage percentage, both were very close um, within, within a point or two of each other. And about two-thirds of their shots for both, for both players were within 10 feet. So that's either at the rim or in the paint. And they finished at a pretty similar levels in those areas. So 76% at the rim for Mobley, 71% for Davis, 38% on paint jumpers for Mobley, and 
for Anthony Davis. And again, dunk rate also pretty close. I didn't look at dunk rate for everybody, but for some guys, I, I definitely did. And that's uh, right around 20% of all of their makes were dunks. Mobley had higher assist rates and turnover rates than, than any of the players that I looked at, uh, or any of the three I mentioned, Porzingis, Turner, and Davis. Uh, AD was better rebounder and a little bit better um, in terms of steal rates and blocks than most of these guys. Um, one thing to keep in mind, though, is like Anthony Davis, especially as a rookie, didn't shoot threes really at all. And Evan Mobley took about one out of every nine of his shots from, from three. Some of the best comparisons that I found were actually other rookies. For, for Evan Mobley, Alfred Shangoon was actually a really good statistical comparison in a lot of ways. So since I mentioned Shangoon, let's just look at him now. Of all 56 players I looked at in this comparison, which again includes guys like Jokic and Zion and KD, Paul George, tons of the best wings in the games today, of all of them, Alperin Shangoon had the highest assist per 36 with four and a, four and a half, along with the highest assist percentage. So in fact, there were only a few guys that were really even close to him in terms of assists, and those are guys like Jokic. Blake Griffin, which I think people forget, is, is, is and has always been kind of an underrated passer. Joel Embiid actually um, had quite a few assists his rookie, rookie season. And then other rookies like Scotty Barnes and Franz Wagner. But let's, let's compare Alperin Shangun to Blake, Blake Griffin. Shangun was 17 points and 9.5 rebounds. Blake was 21 points and 11.5 rebounds. So Blake was... I guess I would say significantly better in both categories. I already mentioned assists. Shingun was a little bit higher, but Blake was pretty close as well. Both shot 55% true shooting. And in terms of where they got their shots and how they finished was also very similar. So for both, they took about 73% of their shots in the paint. Shingun finished at 67% at the rim. Blake finished at 69% at the rim. Shangun was 39% from paint jumpers, and Griffin was 43% paint jumpers. Now, Alpern Shangun also had a much higher turnover rate than most, most of the rookies that I looked at. He was up there with Giannis's rookie season, which was not great, at around 19%, so very high turnover rate for, for Shangun. Griffin also didn't really pick up any steals or blocks as a rookie, and, and Shangun was actually pretty decent at both, and created his own two-point shots more like some of the wing players, like Brandon Ingram and R.J. Barrett that I looked at. He was actually pretty close to Nikola Jokic in a lot of these categories as well, especially when looking at things like points per 36 with around 16.5, assists per 36, 4 to 4.5. Jokic got a decent amount of steals, especially for a similar for a center, similar to Alperin Sengun. And Jokic also had a similar pro shot profile of Shangun as well. Shangun was actually kind of difficult to look at just because he was so extreme for a player of his size when, when talking about his assist and turnovers and self-creation. Most other center and and even big forwards really didn't have those kinds of levels, which I which really kind of makes him pretty intriguing going forward, especially if he can hold up defensively. So moving to Isaiah Jackson, I mentioned in episode two that if he had played enough, his combined steals and blocks per 36 would have been first in the NBA. When I compared his rookie season stats to others, he was squarely in the center category. So uh, he's a little undersized for a true center, similar to, say, like Robert Williams. He's got some similarities to Anthony Davis's rookie season in terms of the steals and blocks. 
He's got similarities to other guys like Miles Turner and Christian Wood and Jaron Jackson. But the best rookie comparisons I found for him were DeAndre Aiden, Jared Allen, and Bam Adebayo. So all three of these guys, <clears throat> interestingly, only played between 15 and 20 minutes per game as rookies. So I think we probably think of even like DeAndre Aiden, the number one overall pick in his year, only played 16 minutes per game as a rookie. Isaiah Jackson was 20, 10, and less than one assist per 36. Um, these other guys, for the most part, were, were 15 or 19 points per 36, all of them around 10 rebounds. And like Jared Allen, for instance, also only one assist per 36. In terms of true shooting, he was most like Aiton at around 61%. Turnover rates, all of them were around 14, 15%. Usage rate, Isaiah Jackson actually had a higher usage rate than anyone here, but similar to, to DeAndre Aiden's at around 21, 22%. Now, where I really saw the biggest um, similarities between most of these guys, with the exception of Aiden, was in their shot distribution. From 0 to 3 feet, 3 to 10 feet, and 3-point range. Okay, so three different numbers here. Isaiah Jackson took 62% of his shots at the rim, 22% of his shots in the paint, and 8% of his shots from three. So that's 62, 22, and 8. Jared Allen was 67, 23, and 4. Bam Adebayo was 62, 23, and 2. So very, very similar shot profiles for those guys where they also finished at essentially a very similar uh, rate. All around 70% at the rim, all around 40 40-ish percent um, from paint jumpers. Jackson was actually a little higher than that, 44%. All kind of self-created about a quarter of their two-pointers, scored about a quarter of their uh, field goals made on dunks. So a little helter-skelter, I guess, in terms of the comparisons here, but the point is, like, he's a paint scorer. He's the only one of these guys to be 20 and 10 per 36, and I think his card mark is, like, way, way down, even for centers. So I'm still looking to pick up a nice auto or two of his. I, I don't expect him to necessarily even end up as like an all NBA level player or anything like that. But I, I do think he can end up in the Jared Allen sort of fringe all-star category. And I I think that would even that would give a small like but worthwhile bump in his card. So I'm I'm definitely still looking for Isaiah Jackson uh cards but really more focusing more on you know autos and numbered cards and not base or anything like that i mentioned earlier talking about forwards that there was really only one i had in this category so i'll, I'll hit it real quick and i'm not even going to go as as detailed but jalen johnson i mentioned i'd be taking a flyer flyer or two on him of all 55 players i looked at he played the fewest minutes per game and only 120 total minutes in the league. So we should be using extreme caution when trying to take anything away from his rookie season, except maybe that his coach and organization really didn't see fit to get him on the court. Uh, you know, I've heard some rumors of some um, off-the-court stuff and and so on, but but again, extreme caution here. I'm not. This is not a recommendation or anything like that. It's just someone that I'm looking at. Box plus minus, he was negative 4.9, which was the lowest of all 55 players I looked at. But a low plus minus is not necessarily like a death knell as a rookie. Others who were near him in terms of low, you know, very, very low negative box plus minuses as rookies in my study were guys like Damanis Sabonis and Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown. So, I mean, it's definitely possible to turn it around. There's, it's not 
it's not uh, certainly not true that having a, a low box plus minus means that they can never be a good player. Jalen Johnson was 16, 8, and 1 per 36. Tobias Harris, who also didn't play very much as a rookie, was 16, 8, and 2 per 36. Um, Jalen Johnson was very close, very good close to the rim. 24% of his makes were dunks, but not very good away from it. He had a very, very high turnover rate and a very low assist rate. Similar to um, Tobias Harris, actually, again, on similar usage. Also similar to Tobias. He had kind of a kind of middling defensive steal and block rates. And his shot profile in terms of where he was getting his shots actually mirrored that of Giannis's almost to a T. 49% of their shots came at the rim. Um, 7% came from kind of those paint jumpers I was talking about. Or 7% of Jalen's, 8% of Giannis's. 32% of Jalen's shots were from three, and 28% of Giannis's shots were from three. So very, very similar in terms of where they got their shots. Obviously, I'm not saying that Jalen Johnson is, is going to turn into Giannis or anything like that, but if he does anything in the league, you know, I think he's probably more likely to be on that Tobias Harris level than the Giannis level in terms of impact. Um, but it, it is someone that I'm looking at, and again, someone who, because of his low playing time, uh, I'm, I'm expecting to see some pretty good deals on in, in the summer. Let's move on to the wings, <clears throat> starting with Scotty Barnes. But now with Scotty Barnes, just like with Evan Mobley, by far the best direct comparison I found was another rookie. For Scotty, it was Franz Wagner. I, I stated last episode that I didn't really want to compare rookies to rookies. I don't, I don't think that does us a whole lot of good, but, but I would just keep that in mind, especially as we get into Franz here in just a, in just a minute. Um, believe it or not, for Scotty Barnes, actually Evan Mobley was another good comparison. A, a lot of this was due to them being high assist guys, which I talked about earlier. As well as both were in the top top ten in terms of percentage of shots from that floater range, you know, jump paint jumper range, three to ten feet. Um, Tobias Harris was another player who was like fairly close to Scotty Barnes in in some ways. So both were 16 and 8. Scotty was a much better passer and put up more blocks and steals and had lower turnovers and better shooting efficiency. So in terms of points and rebounds per 36, pretty close. Other stuff, not so much. Um, Scotty was able to set up his own shots a lot like Paul George did, but took far far fewer threes and far more shots near the basket than did Paul George as a rookie. The best comp I really could find was essentially R.J. Barrett, but but good. <laughs> so Scotty was eight, six, um, 16, 8, and 3.5. And R.J. Barrett was 17, 6, and 3. Um, Scotty Barnes also had more steals and blocks and way better shooting efficiency at 55% true shooting compared to R.J. Barrett's 48% true shooting. R.J. Barrett got to the rim a little bit more, but was a less effective finisher at the rim. While Scotty was better shooting basically from everywhere but three, where he shot 30% compared to Barrett's 32%. So not a big difference there either. Um, Scotty, Scotty Barnes got blocks and steals and assists like, like Giannis did uh, as a rookie. Essentially, apart from the other rookies, I really couldn't find a great line-by-line -line comp for Scotty Barnes, which I, I think is probably a good thing, meaning that he does a lot really well and earned uh, – his Rookie of the Year award. And I, I think going forward, it'll be really fun to watch to watch Scotty Barnes. Prices are pretty high, although not as high as some of the other players that we've been talking about, um, despite being the Rookie of the Year. 
Moving to, to Franz Wagner, Franz has the distinction of taking the highest percentage of his shots from that floater range. Of all of the 55 players that I looked at, he was pretty efficient. He did a little bit of everything. I, I did find five guys with similar-ish rookie seasons, and those guys were Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, R.J. Barrett again, Andrew, Wig Andrew Wiggins, and Kyle Kuzma. Of the five, I actually think Franz's statistical profile looks the most similar to Kyle Kuzma and R.J. Barrett. So all three of these guys, Franz, Kuzma, and Barrett, played about 31, 30 to 31 minutes per game as rookies. So high, high um, minutes, guys. Franz was 18 points for 36, uh, Kuzma 19, and Barrett 17. So all around that 18 points for 36 range. All were around five or six rebounds. Kuzma a little bit more. And all were around two to three assists per 36. So pretty close in terms of their per 36, you know, counting stats. RJ Barrett was not a very efficient um, shooter, while Kyle Kuzma was at 55%, and Franz beat them both at 56%. From a steal and blocks perspective, Kuzma really didn't do all that much. Uh, Franz had a 1.4% steal rate and a 1.3% block rate, which was similar to Barrett's. Barrett had a few more steals, a few less blocks, but pretty close. From a turnover rate perspective, he was the best, uh, but not by much at, at 10%. Usage, all three were around 20 to 23% or so. Box plus minus, exactly the same as Kyle Kuzma's, negative, uh, negative 0 0.7%. In terms of where they got their shots, he was a lot more similar to R.J. Barrett than he was to Kyle Kuzma. Kuzma shot a lot of his shots from three. Kuzma was about 42% from three, while Barrett and Franz were both around 27 28%. And both Barrett and, and Franz shot about two-thirds of their shots, 60% to 66% of their shots from within 10 feet. So that's at the rim and in that floater range I was talking about. Um, I already mentioned that Barrett was not a very good finisher, really, from any of those spots, while Franz was actually almost identical to Kyle Kuzma kind of the rest of the way. So finishing at the rim, 63% for Franz, 64% for Kuzma. Finishing between 3 and 10 feet, 46% for Franz, 44% for Kuzma. And from 3, 35% for Franz and 37% for Kuzma. So really similar percentages from all different spots on the court. Now, again, they took their shot profile was a little bit different, but in terms of the, their efficiency at each area of the court, finished very similarly. Additionally, both set up their um, own shot 47% of the time on their two-point makes, which is a pretty high number for, the, for most of the guys that, that I looked at today. And both were assisted on most of their threes, but you know even Franz set up 17% of his own threes. So these are primarily you know off the dribble three pointers and step backs things like that. So <clears throat> Franz and Kuz kind of got their points in different ways as rookies, but their percentages were very similar. I also you know real quick real quick I mentioned Tatum and Durant at the beginning. You know Durant scored significantly more on higher usage than Franz, but he really wasn't that efficient less efficient than Franz Wagner was. And Tatum scored and distributed both both of those things less than than Franz did, but was uh but did it on better efficiency. So I think all six of these players, the five players I mentioned, the other one I didn't really talk about in detail was Wiggins. So all five of those um vets and Franz Wagner are 
kind of different levels of the same player type. So scoring wings who can create for themselves and shoot the three, but are not really big time rebounders, but generally good passers. The only question to me is like, will Franz end up more in the Kuzma, Wiggins, Barrett group or the Durant and Tatum group? I think most people, myself included, probably think it's more likely to be the former, which is consistent of with even his uh, draft scouting profile, right? Like solid all-around player, not necessarily a superstar, but a player who will be in the rotation for, for many, many years. Moving to Jonathan Kaminga, Kaminga had a rookie season that was reminiscent of a few players. Some of the ones that I'm not using that it was similar to were Keldon Johnson and Kyle Kuzma. Now, Kaminga was closest to Keldon in terms of where he was getting his shots. Um, Almost the same rate of shots from the paint and from three. Good percentages across the board and similar self-creation. So in terms of like the way Keldon Johnson scored as a rookie, Kaminga did pretty similar. But I want to continue and compare. And compare Jonathan Kaminga to two guys that I actually thought were better comparisons, which were Jason Tatum and Jaron Jackson. So yeah, yeah, that Jaron Jackson. So let's take a look because I don't think I, you know I don't think we normally think of Jonathan Kaminga as like in the Jaron Jackson power forward center mold. Maybe power forward, especially in today's game, but center not so much. So let's take a look from a per thirty six perspective. Kaminga was twenty. Points, seven rebounds, two assists. Jaron Jackson was 19 points, six and a half rebounds, one and a half assists. So Kaminga a little bit higher in all three categories, but very, very close. From a true shooting perspective, both Kaminga and Jaron Jackson, as well as Jason Tatum, were all around 59 or 60%. Um, now, both Jackson and Tatum had higher steal and block rates than did Jonathan Kaminga, but not by a ton. Jaron definitely on blocks, but in terms of steals, Uh, Pretty similar, 1.3% versus 1.7%. And Jason Tatum had a 2% block rate. Jonathan Kamigo, a 1.8% block rate. So very, very close there in terms of defensive, you know, counting stats. Turnover rate, all of them around 12%. Usage rate, Jaron Jackson was at 23%, the exact same as Jonathan Kamigo's. In terms of where he got his shots, pretty pretty similar to Jaron. Actually, Jaron didn't shoot as many threes. He definitely shot threes, but not as many as he does today uh, as a rookie at only 24% of his shots coming from three, whereas Kaminga took about a third of his shots from three. And Kaminga, almost all of the rest of his shots were in the paint. So very, very few long twos, right? That's the layups and layups and threes mentality, I, I guess, of today's NBA from, from most of today's players. In terms of finishing, he was almost exactly the same as Jaron Jackson from all levels of the court. So 77% at the rim versus 73% for Jaron, 43% from the paint versus 43% for Jaron. So exactly the same there. And 34% from three versus 36% as Jaron Jackson. So very, very close. Their self-creation numbers were also very close. 60% of Kamingo's, 61% of Kamingo's two-pointers were assisted. 64% of Jaron's two-pointers were assisted and neither really created their own three-pointer. And Kaminga also had a significantly higher dunk rate than both Jaron Jackson and Jason Tatum. So again, keep in mind, you know, Jaron Jackson, after his rookie season, really took a big jump in terms of his three-point attempt rate, where where he is a very good shooter. Kaminga is such a good finisher. You know, 77% at the rim is incredible. Such a good finisher that I, I expect that he'll start to get more and more of those jump shots as teams start to sag. And it'll be, you know, critical for him to, to be able to hit those at a high rate. And if he's able to extend out to three, 
um, efficiently, then you know he can be he can be a star. I think all the hype around him is like totally warranted, and I would love to have a nice Jonathan Kamiga. They go for quite a bit right now. The other two guys that I want to talk about are a little bit lower, right, in terms of their expectations and their draft capital and all of that stuff. Um, but but let's take a look. So Zaire Williams was the next. You know, I compared him to three other guys, especially as rookies. Most people would think of them as primarily catch and shoot guys, which is exactly what Zaire was for the most part as a rookie as well. So those are Cam Johnson, Desmond Bain, who actually had grouped as a wing. Maybe he's more of a two. And Chris Middleton, same thing, kind of a two slash three. Um, <clears throat> but Zaire was kind of in that same boat. So all of them were around 13 to 14. You know, Desmond Bain was at 15 points for 36. All of them played around 20 minutes, 22 minutes per game as rookies. All of them around three and a half to five or so rebounds. Zaire was actually the lowest uh, in terms of rebounds per 36. And all of them around two assists per 36. Zaire, Cam Johnson, and Desmond Bain were all, uh, you know, 56 to, to 60% true shooting, 1.2% steal rate, and, you know, block rate less than one. All, all of four of these guys we're talking about are low turnover players and fairly low usage players, or at least were as rookies. From a shot profile perspective, he was a lot more similar to the way his teammate Desmond Bain was used as a rookie. So only 29% of Zaire Williams' shots came from within the paint. Uh, that's, you know, 10 feet and, and less, whereas Bain was only 31% as a rookie and 57% of Zaire Williams' shots were three-pointers and 54% of Desmond Bain's were three-pointers. Cam Johnson uh, was a little higher than both of those guys at about two-thirds of his shots coming from three and Chris Middleton significantly lower at only one-third of his shot coming from three. In terms of finishing, you know, Zaire Williams didn't get to the rim all that much, but when he did, he finished incredibly effectively, 86%. And that's not like he was getting a ton of dunks either. Uh, he was only a 1% dunk rate. So he was a really good finisher when he got to the rim and shot the ball well from elsewhere in the paint. And, you know, 31% from three is not as good as Cam or Desmond Bain showed as rookies. Both of those guys were at or above 40%. Um, but, you know, it's pretty solid. And then again, I mentioned catch and shoot, right? Zaire, Cam Johnson, Desmond Bain were all about three quarters of their twos were assisted. Middleton, you know, Cam Johnson, Desmond Bain are all good players. But again, I think for the for most players, especially those non like upper echelon shooters, if you can't really create your own shot and don't get teammates involved and are pretty, you know, pretty much solely reliant on catch and shoots, it's really tough to have a solid card market. And you might say like what about Desmond Bain? His cards did great this season. That's true. Uh in this season, Desmond Bain created way more off the dribble than he did as a rookie, and he's a 44% career three-point shooter. So, you know, I think Zaire has shown some of that ability, but he's going to really need to take a, take, a, take, take a jump to even get on, like, Desmond Bain's level, which I think most people would say is good, but maybe not even necessarily all-star level yet. So let's move on to our last guy. That's Herbert Jones. In terms of offensive counting stats per 36, he had pretty identical rookie season to that of his teammate, our current teammate, Brandon Ingram. So 11 points per 36 is not that much, pretty low in terms of most of the guys I looked at for this, for this exercise. Almost five rebounds per 36 and two and a half assists. But, so both Herb Jones and Brandon Ingram as rookies had similar per 36 counting stats. Like Ingram, he was a fairly low usage rate player as a rookie at 14%. You know, Ingram's was a little higher, about 17%. 
and kind of middle of the pack in terms of turnover rates around 13%. Defensively, Herb Jones racked up steals like Mikal Bridges and getting got blocks like Miles Bridges. So in, re, in regards to where he got his shots, he was actually very similar again to R.J. Barrett. I think this is coming up more and more. But maybe it's, maybe it's uh, you know, most of these guys are younger guys, Barrett and uh, Herb Jones and some of the other people I compared to R.J. Barrett, for instance. Within three feet, Herb Jones took 41% of his shots at the rim compared to 39% for Barrett, 20% of his shots from three to 10 feet, the exact same for Barrett, and 29% of shots from three-pointer versus 27% for Barrett. So in terms of where he was getting his shots, very similar. But in terms of how he finished those shots, he was actually way closer to Miles Bridges, and, and that's a good thing. Jones and Miles Bridges both finished at 69 and 67% at the rim, 29 and 31% from floater. So that's not great, right? 30% from in the paint is not a, is not a good number. Uh, but 34% from three is pretty, pretty solid compared to Miles Bridges' 33% from three. So like, like most everybody else, I loved watching Herb Jones in the first round of the playoffs this year. Something that stuck out to me, though, is that neither Barrett nor Miles or Mikael Bridges have had significant improvements in terms of like where they get their shots or how they finished or how they created opportunities for themselves or others so far in their careers. You know, Barrett's been in the league three years. Miles and Mikael have both been in the, the league four years. Now, Ingram did have significant improvements as soon as his second year. Uh, but given that Herb Jones was a four-year player in college who really didn't shoot it that well even in college, I'm, I'm kind of growing more, more skeptical that he can be more than one of the Bridgeses. Um, but I'm actually kind of staying away from Herb Jones this summer. And, but I will be watching to see how he starts the season very, very closely. So I'll wrap it up here. Thanks for listening. I, I really want to try to get back to more of these, the basketball card aspect. What I plan on doing is comparing different players and their cards, the different card sets and their multipliers. So like Optic versus Donruss, right? How, how much of a different, these are essentially the same cards. One's a Chromium version and one's not. Like how, how close or how, how different are those multipliers? And does that change year over year? from different players for different years. And I might try to dive into some guys that I'm looking to buy or guys who showed improvement in key areas but haven't really had their breakout yet. So that's what I that's what I would like to get back to. I've done a lot of stat stuff, which I really, really love. But the whole point of this was to, to bring all of that forward to sports cards. And that's what I'd like to do uh, in the future. Thank you very much for listening. I really, truly, sincerely appreciate it. I'm just sitting here in my office kind of doing this all by myself. So uh, anytime I, I get to hear from you all or, or even just see the, the views kind of racking up, I, it, it just makes me feel happy and I, and I really appreciate it. So thank you all. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later.